This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Hello and welcome to Colloquium. We are back after a bit of a hiatus. We've had a little bit of difficulty syncing up our schedules lately, but here we are in the flesh. Um, This one I am going to let Nick introduce. It's his idea and I like it. We might have to tread a little lightly, but Nick, go ahead and say it. Great. Thanks for putting me on the spot, man. Uh, So we're going to talk about being naked today. Um, yes. Yeah, you, you heard that right. I said the word naked in uh, on uh, social media. Um, no, but we're going to talk about just kind of uh, nakedness uh, in the spiritual life in particular, um, what on earth that means and what it means for how we should live. So um, I'm really pumped about this. I've actually been embarrassingly, embarrassingly been thinking and praying about this for, gosh, probably a year or two now, actually. Uh, so yeah. Awesome. yeah, it's time to just regurgitate everything I've been thinking and praying about on the, on the, on social media here. So we'll see. Yeah, there. I think there are so many directions we could go with this. As we speak, I'm literally sitting across from Nick's creation of Adam painting from Michelangelo in his apartment, and this is a painting where Adam is naked, stark naked. And it'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to contemplate this image as as we discuss. But I think one of the, one of the ways we wanted to lead into this is a little in a lighthearted manner talk about the theme of people who did things naked. <laughs> Not me and Dylan, if you're wondering. No, we are fully clothed. Don't worry. But there, I guess there's some apocryphal stories of different historical figures and maybe some legitimate stories as well who, yeah, thought it was important to do things naked. Um, I guess Ben Franklin was one that we were able to confirm. Like he he did write some of his works naked. Is that true? I... (laughs) I don't know. That's what I've heard. Okay. Uh, our friend Dan is the source for all this, so he might just be totally lying to us to embarrass us on the, you know, in public. But is he just trying really to make a fool of us? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, Gosh. apparently people did things naked. Um, uh, great things. Victor right. Hugo was another one, right? Victor Hugo, Winston Churchill, apparently. But okay. some of these stories were questionable in their <laughs> their truthfulness. So I don't I don't know what to make of it. I didn't do my research. That was Dan. So I'm with you. Yeah, I'm hoping to read Les Mis one day. So I'm afraid when I open the book, I'm going to be thinking about Victor Hugo naked now the entire time I read it. So <laughs> yeah, I ruin it for um, me. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about that. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So what what do we mean by nakedness, Nick? I'll, I'll just go ahead and ask you what what do you mean when you think of nakedness? Yeah, obviously the physical aspect of having no clothes on that would be. <laughs> Is that people think sure. of, obviously. Uh, I think maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, actually. I mean, kind of the role that it plays um, in our humanity right now and why on earth we roll around with clothes on. Right. Um, I think we also want to talk about kind of the spiritual aspect of nakedness, which is tied to basically exposure, um, just spiritual exposure and vulnerability, um, not necessarily physical. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to get into that a little bit also. Right. I think I think vulnerability is something that comes to mind for me, especially too. And I think it's it's such an interesting topic because I think it's something that most people probably don't spend a lot of time contemplating or thinking about. But it's this weird thing we do as human beings. We're the only animals in the animal kingdom that I know of that universally wear clothing. Hmm. We do this weird thing where we wear these things called clothes to cover up aspects of our body. And it's it's an interesting thing. And I think there's a lot of meaning there when you really seek to contemplate why that is. All right, absolutely. I think kind of one thing we're going to get into is, um, or we need to probably say from the beginning, we're not saying in the thesis of this podcast is not that everyone should walk around naked and that's a great thing. 
Uh, that's, I don't think so. Is that where you were going? No, no. Okay. Say, but... <laughs> yeah. uh, with the, the wearing clothes and the, you know, not revealing ourselves in that way kind of serves a purpose. And, um, but there is kind of a struggle, I think, that's disordered in our society of, you know, with the people that we were with and people that we know of not wanting to expose ourselves, um, not wanting mm-hmm. to, to put our full self forward towards someone that we know or towards someone that we're around, right. which I think we need to do to a certain extent. Right. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit too as we move forward. Yeah. So I think maybe the starting point for thinking about nakedness is just to think about, and maybe I'll just ask you this question. Why, why do you wear clothes, Nick? That's a, hmm. Let me think about that for a second. That's a hard one. Um, Well, the first reason is because everybody else does. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's kind of, that's the first reason. Mm -hmm. The second is, um, it just seems like I don't really know the theological background behind this I, yet. I think we're maybe we're going to figure it out this broadcast, yeah, but yeah. I it just seems like it's a very intimate thing that I shouldn't share with people, my body, like my mm-hmm. my full you know physical self in that way. Yeah, it seems like I shouldn't. Right. Um. So that's that's all I can give you right now. Can yeah. you help me out? Have you ever had one of those dreams where you're like naked in public? <laughs> I have not. I don't think okay. um, that would be terrifying. But no, I haven't. Well, I have. It. Okay. I think it's it's you know I mean at least I think it's a fairly common thing that people dream about. But it, like there's this if you've ever had that dream or a dream of this sort, you feel exposed, hmm. um, and you feel as if something is wrong or something is off. Like if you're naked in public in a dream, like it's usually an accident. Somehow with the way dreams work, somehow you like got out of bed and forgot to put on clothes. I don't know how that would happen in real life, but it's, it's a terrifying experience in a dream. And I imagine it would be even more terrifying in real life, but yeah, it's like something is missed or there's something wrong is mm-hmm. the sense. Like if you were to go out in public, not wearing clothes. And so I think there's something ingrained into us. I mean, maybe you could argue that that's some sort of like cultural thing, right? Cause we, we see everybody else wearing clothes, so we mm. feel like we're supposed to wear clothes. But I think it's also worth considering the hypothesis that maybe that's not merely a cultural construct. And it's rooted in maybe a deeper reality, a deeper spiritual truth. Mm. Right. Yeah, I don't know if there's maybe kind of a healthy fear tied to kind of you know nakedness like that. I'm not really sure if that's the right term, but kind of just kind of a healthy fear of not wanting to put yourself out you know, in, in full in that way. Just kind of an emotional or being being exposed in my person, not necessarily physical nakedness, um, but just a um, being exposed for who I am in full. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a fear a lot of us kind of experience. Um, also, I, I think kind of an example that I, has drawn my attention to that, uh, to this topic more fully, is kind of my experience uh, coaching soccer um, and the players that I coach. Um and kind of one of the ways in which that's exposed itself is, you know, maybe I'm asking the girls a question, you know, the players that I coach a question uh, or at practice. And, you know, I'm asking them to kind of, you know, whatever, elaborate on whatever question I'm asking, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And there's this kind of, you can almost sense this fear amongst them, you know, of I don't really want to raise my hand and answer the question, even though I know, because I don't know, there's just kind of this strange fear. Mm-hmm. I think kind of what that's tied to, I've been thinking about and praying about this a little bit, is I don't want to put myself out there and ha- kind of be exposed in front of everyone and then to say no or to make fun of me or to, you know, reject what I have to offer in front of everyone. Right. 
Um, so that's just kind of a little example of kind of how we're, you know, our, our fear of exposure and who we are as who we are, um, that I, I saw in the girls that I coach, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to even put myself out there even that little bit, you know, for fear of being rejected when I put my full yeah. self out there. So I think that's kind of where we want to go with, you know, this conversation of nakedness eventually is this idea of exposure. When I expose myself, um, am I going to be loved or am I going to be rejected? Right. I think that's kind of the root of this fear of, you know, of, of nakedness, if you will. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think, I think absolutely. I agree. And that's, that's a great example. Um, yeah. Teaching high schoolers as well. High schoolers are the most insecure, self-conscious human beings that exist. Um, it's very much uh, an adolescent, a part of the adolescent experience, part of all human experience, I think. But yeah, you see that all the time. Just fear of what other people are going to think. Fear of being exposed. Fear of putting yourself out there. Why are people? Why do people have stage fright? You know, hmm. it's this fear of being having your true self exposed. Because in a certain sense, you aren't proud of every aspect of yourself. There's an element of shame. Right. I think also, Nick, I think something I've heard you say a lot is kind of like talking about the fear we have of, yeah, maybe just putting ourselves out there in general. The fear of like being passionate about something and saying like, oh, this is, you know, like something I've been praying about or reading about or thinking about and I share it with excitement. And then nobody's interested nobody cares about it right that's a huge fear i think is you know especially in my heart too you know to come out and to say something that you're really passionate about exactly like you said and you know have people to clearly not care about what you're saying gosh mm-hmm. that's a horrible thing it's a i'm putting myself and my, my deepest self out there what i what i care most about or what i care deeply about and they choose to reject uh, which seems like an affront on who i am as a human being yeah um so um, anyway, lots of definitely lots of fears tied to nakedness. I mean, we should jump back a little bit and talk about kind of um, where this you know concept of you know nakedness right, and right. shame and so on and so forth came yeah. from. So, if you want to, yeah, absolutely, that's where I wanted to go. Okay, so God has some words to say about this topic in Holy Scripture, and I think two kind of themes to think about is one: I'm looking at the creation of man. Adam's naked in this painting, right? Another instance of nakedness, actually, believe it or not, Jesus on the cross. You know, we see the crucifix and we see um, we see it in a veiled way. Um, but the reality is that Jesus was crucified entirely naked. Um, and that's something like, yeah, that's put there for us and for our protection. Um, but the reality is Jesus is the new Adam. Adam was naked. Adam fell naked. Our redemption came through the nakedness in a literal and a spiritual sense of Christ on the cross. So let's start with Adam. We'll look at Genesis a little bit and then maybe look at the crucifixion as well and how Christ sheds light on that. Awesome. So I think the first thing we, the first place we encounter this, looking at Genesis chapter two and three. So at the end of Genesis chapter two, it says, so in the man, and this is before the fall and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Okay. After the fall, man sins. And this is Genesis 3, chapter 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And after this, we get the image of God walking in the garden and asking Adam where he is. 
And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Hmm. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So God questions the man here. The man is clearly afraid. It says that he's afraid because he was naked and he hid himself. So in just a few, in a very close, these are very close together in scripture. Before the fall, the last thing we're told is that they were naked and not ashamed. Then they sin and something happens. Something changed. Hmm. So Nick, how do you think this relates to the idea of why, why we have these thoughts about nakedness or why we wear clothes today? Yeah, this is, Wow. I feel like in scripture, when you read something a million times and you read it the million and first time, it still has a new and profound meaning. And I, mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of the way that when you read it came across to me again, but I, I think it's really tied to just obviously, um, this not wanting to be exposed before God. Um, you know, I've, I've realized I've sinned and committed a, a wrong against him and I have this, this great fear of being exposed for him for, you know, in front of him. So I hide. Um, that's definitely an element of here uh, of this passage. I also think too, it's very much tied to how we see the uh, um, member of the opposite sex, man and woman, woman mm -hmm. and man. You know, if, um, I think one of the things that you know happened through the fall was, you know, when I see a man uh, or a woman naked, um, that it's easy for me to objectify, to see her as object mm -hmm. um, and not as a human being. Um, so I think kind of, that's what happened in the fall as well. You know, it's kind of a, you know, I'm hiding my body in order to protect my, who I am as a human being, um, to protect my subjectivity, right. um, is kind of a, a couple of double elements there. Right. So I think something, there's a lot to consider here, but one thing I want to not pass over is think about critically what, what happened at the fall. So the church tells us that a few things happened, right? We inherited this original sin. Um, every, you know, every human um, inherited, except for Mary, inherited original sin. Uh, Mary had a prevenient, prevenient grace um, that saved her in advance. But the rest of us, and Jesus, Jesus, he also is God. So just all right, <laughs> before you in. call me out here. Hey, what, what uh, does prevenient mean? Can you tell our listeners? Prevenient. Gosh, don't ask me that. Eh? Okay. It means before, before she lived. Okay. So uh, you got me off topic. Sorry, right? man. Okay. So... Mary, Jesus, where were we going? What was I saying? Um, you were talking about what happened at the fall. Boom. What happened at the fall, right? We inherited original sin. Something else happened. We have this thing called concupiscence as a result of the fall. And concupiscence is this tendency to sin, but you could also think of it as a disordering of our faculties. So all of a sudden after the fall, we don't think right. We don't act right. We don't feel right. We're tempted to things that are horrible for us. Um, and so this, this, yeah, this, this fallenness, that's why we can fall into sins like gluttony, lust, sometimes without like this conscious act of the will. It's like a sin of weakness. Hmm. And so I think an important thing to realize is people think about when you think about, okay, what was the first sin? What kind of sin was it? Most of the spiritual masters say it was pride. Pride because it's a sin of the higher faculties, the intellect and the will. So the first sin couldn't have been like this sin of concupiscence. Like it probably wasn't a sexual sin. 
um, or sin of lust, some sort of sin of the flesh, because they didn't have that yet. They didn't have this, this fallenness of their passions. It was more likely a more conscious, a more deliberate sin. We, however, inherit this concupiscence. We inherit these tendencies to sin, this tendency to lust, um, where our instincts are actually disordered towards something that's really bad for us. Yeah. How is that playing into nakedness? Well, because of this concupiscence, I think, um, and you can let me know if you think this is fair to say or if you want to add to it, but I think that's a big reason why we, we do wear clothes, because we have this fallenness. Yes, in a perfect world, we could look at each other as we are and not be tempted to sin and see a beautiful creation of God meant to be loved, honored, revered. Right. Whether that's the opposite sex, same sex. But the reality is we live in this fallenness. We live in the midst of this concupiscence where that's maybe impossible or at the very least very, very hard, which brings up, I think, another question. Is it impossible? Right. But to do in the midst of concupiscence. Yeah. Difficult question. Um, yeah, I think kind of the fact that we all wear clothes, um, you know, says that we've found it to be, you know, not possible you know, for mm-hmm. most 99.99% of us. I don't know if there's a, you know, well-ordered colony of people that don't wear clothes around somewhere. Um, but yeah, so I think we've, we've kind of decided that that's, you know, that's what we should do. Um, mm-hmm. Except in, you know, the relationship of marriage, which we will talk about a little bit later. But um, one thing that I did notice from that passage also, it's kind of tied to this, is it wasn't that, you know, they became naked when they sinned. It's that they realized they were naked. They were already Mm -hmm. naked, then they realized it after Mm -hmm. they had sinned. Um, So I'm wondering if there's like a, you know, when sin is not present, there's kind of like a a seeing past nakedness, you know, kind of a um, seeing through that temptation or Mm -hmm. I I don't know, help me out. You kind of can see what I'm getting at there. I'm not really sure. Yeah, so... I think at the root of this is is the the nature of the first sin, right? So they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. So before the fall, they didn't know evil. They didn't know the experience of fallenness, of concupiscence. And so it's this knowledge of something, this knowledge of sin. So I think maybe after the fall, there's this knowledge and awareness of how the human body can be used for evil. How it can be used is exactly right yeah 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 how it can be used and not um uh what's the word i'm looking for um what's the opposite of being loved. used just love okay that's that's right. a great we're, word we're yeah. getting into the language of jp2 that's right his theology of the body yeah love versus use who granted said it a lot better than us but uh yeah that's right debatable. Uh, <laughs> no not debatable <laughs> no he's a master he's the man that's that's right though yeah it, um a uh, freedom to love versus using yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, and that's our goal as human beings is to, is to love the other and not use them as an object, right? And I think um, kind of, you know, again, wearing clothes or, you know, um, helps with that. That's why we wear clothes is right. you know, not to look good or whatever it is, but to, to free us to love the other person. Um, and that's ultimately right. what modesty is tied to, right, as well. Um, right. Anyway. So I think, I think the next question to stay on this before we go, you know, ahead towards the crucifixion. Um, is, I guess, related to that question of, is it possible? Like, is it possible to, um, yeah, be naked and unashamed after the fall in a spiritual sense, maybe? Um, cause I think of, yeah, I think, I think another thing that begs the question of is like, you know, we see nakedness in art, hmm. you know, I'm 
again, I'm sitting across from the creation of Adam. It's a naked man on a painting. Like, why is that okay? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I, I would go so far as to say, I think we've had this conversation before offline, but um, that maybe it's, you know, not okay for some people. Maybe some people aren't ready to, you know, glare at a painting with a naked man on it. You know, maybe mm-hmm. some people aren't ready for that in the, in the spiritual life. And that's an okay thing to admit, I think. Um, I think it takes a certain level of spiritual maturity to, 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 to glare at, you know, a naked image that mm-hmm. is a holy image, right? The creation of man is an incredibly powerful spiritual painting mm-hmm. for Michelangelo um, mm-hmm. that can bear fruit in your life. Um, but, you know, again, somebody might not be ready to, you know, look at that painting in good conscience. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, th- I think it takes a spiritual maturity. Yeah. yeah. So, gosh, there's a lot of directions to go here, but do you think there's a difference between, for instance, the creation of Adam painting the nakedness in art and other things like pornography that mm-hmm. might be more often, if not always, mm-hmm. occasions of sin? That's a that's a really great question. I think the it, it's tied to the purpose, right? So the, the purpose of pornography is to is to use the human being. Yes, is to use the woman who's exposed or the man who's exposed um, as an object for my pleasure. Um, that's a, yeah, it's like using any other object, you know. So it's to sure. reduce the human being. Right. Um, the purpose of Michelangelo's painting is to draw the soul towards God, um, to draw mm-hmm. the soul towards the power of a human of, of the human body and the human being, and in, in, in the ordered sense, right. you know. So it's it's a difference of purpose that I think you can yeah. you can almost sense from from looking at one versus the other. Yeah. Which I think the thing we have to recognize too, there, Nick, is that the reality is the the purpose of the human body, like the purpose of how we are created, is for good. Hmm. You know, so our bodies are good. That's an important thing to affirm. Amen. And so even, yeah, our body in and of itself, whether that's used in art or in other ways, is of a good purpose. Mm-hmm. However, it can be, it can become an occasion of sin because of concupiscence. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I'm good on that topic. Okay. Yeah, I, I think um, that's such an important thing to remember, though, is... Um, just why pornography is a wrong thing versus the creation of man. Cause I've definitely wondered right. that before. And, um, yeah. it's, it's really just a sense. I really do believe that, you know, you can, you can feel when you look at one versus the other kind of in your soul, which one's right and which right. one's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe a closing thought on that is just to think about this, the story of JP two. So he, with the Sistine chapel at one point there, the nakedness was covered up. Um, that brings, uh, yeah, regardless, the naked was, the nakedness was covered up um, in the Sistine Chapel. JP two restored it to, or had it restored to its original form. So JP two, very much a part of his theology, was affirming the goodness of the human body. Right. Yes, it can be used; it can be seen as an object, but ultimately, it is something that is good. Yeah, amen. Maybe, honestly, maybe maybe the church wasn't ready for you know to see the full exposure of the Sistine Chapel and it's in its full naked capacity before, you know, John Paul II became Pope. And that was John Paul II's, you know, prayerful decision that the church was ready for that kind of experience, you know? So, um, again, it's tied to, you know, your spiritual maturity, I think. Are you ready to, to experience that kind of a, um, nakedness in painting or whatever it is? Yeah. Great. Okay. So fast forward. So how is man then redeemed? So we are redeemed by the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we mentioned before, he's crucified naked. So there's there's a lot of parallels you can draw here. Um, a couple I want to draw our attention to is the nakedness, but also the tree of life. 
So in Genesis, the tree of life is mentioned, and it's mentioned just as kind of an aside. And it says essentially just that the tree of life was also there. And without the rest of scripture, you really don't know what this tree of life is. It's this mysterious thing in Genesis in the Old Testament that's just alluded to. It's it's different from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, it's just this tree that's there. It's called the tree of life. It shows up again explicitly in the book of Revelation um, in the new heaven and new earth. But it also, I think, is is pretty clear when you look at the crucifixion. Adam's sin came through a tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life shows up again in the form of the cross. And the tree of life, just as Adam's sin came through a naked man on a tree, or not by a tree, right? I don't think he was climbing the tree, next to the tree. <laughs> Christ shows up with the tree of life, crucified naked. So in a sense, and this happens all throughout scripture, there are parallels between the old and the new where God undoes or maybe restores is a better word. He takes the very ways we are created and the very ways we are fallen and redeems them. And I think we see that in the figure of Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I really love to talk about this forever and ever. Uh, Cause it's, I think it's just an incredible um, topic that we need to peruse here, but I like to think of, you know, the garden and the crucifixion as kind of stacked against one another in time. Um, I think it's, mm. it's important to think about, you know, this, okay, man was in the garden and they sinned and turned themselves from God and they covered themselves and hid. Then there was this period of time, so on and so forth, where man and you know continues to hide from God across time, and then um, and then the crucifixion, you know of mm. you know Jesus um, as man, you know as God and as man, the new Adam, um, right? The new Adam, exactly. Kind of being pinned to a piece of wood, you know, a tree. Um, and reversing that hiding from God. Right. He uses yeah. the instrument of our fallenness, of our damnation to our salvation. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, and also to uh, just the way God, act, or God, I should say the way Jesus acts, you know, on the cross is, is so meaningful towards, you know, that being exposed as well. Um, you know, because uh, what he chooses to do on the cross is, I like to think about kind of the moment when Jesus is pinned on the cross and he has this, this opportunity to kind of, you know, condemn everybody that he's, um, you know, that are watching him or making fun of him or whatever it is. Um, there's this moment where he has a choice to make of, you know, I can cry out to God or I can turn in on myself and kind of grovel. Um, but he chooses to yell out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he cho he chooses to cry out to God, um, which he's pinned naked on the cross, totally exposed. I mean, think about his posture. Think about if you were to be exposed as a human being in your in your naked form, totally. That would be the posture you would make, like arms out, you know, mm -hmm. ex totally exposed. That's the posture of being exposed as a human being. Um, so he's totally exposed himself, and he chooses to cry out to God. So as the new Adam, he's not hiding himself anymore. He's actually totally exposing himself and crying out to the Lord. He's totally reversing that hiding from God. Um, yeah. Which, wow. um, just dwell on that for a few minutes, everyone. I mean, just, um, just the power of that.
um, and what that means for how we should live and how we should, how right. we should interact with God. Um, I just love, I love the suffering and the vulnerability mm-hmm. of Christ in the scriptures. And that's a great example of it. You know, his whole passion is that whether that's the agony in the garden, the scourging, um, or especially the crucifixion mm-hmm. and those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? are just such a great example of that. And I think I think they're really important words to consider because I think one of the the kind of things man always has against God in the sense like in our fallenness it's like God why'd you abandon me? Why where were you when this happened to me? When I experienced this this emptiness, where were you? Why have you abandoned me? And the words of Christ show us that one, God did not abandon us, but I think also really importantly that that Christ, that God, Christ, Jesus Christ, who was God, experienced those same emotions. We have no justification, although it feels like it at times, to say to God, like, you don't know how I feel. Like, you don't know what this feels like. Right. Because Jesus Christ experienced the depth of human emotion, including the most negative, including probably the deepest negative emotion we could experience, which is the abandonment of God. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think what God is ultimately saying, you know, on, on the cross is I won't abandon you ever. And you don't have to hide from me anymore. You know, um, that's what, that's what the Lord is ultimately saying on the cross is like, uh, man, you know, Jesus on behalf of man, you know, God tells right. Jesus on the cross, stop hiding from me. You, you right. don't have to hide from me anymore. Yeah. Uh, you Give me your full self. Expose your full self to me, and I'll show you what love is. Wow. Um, yeah. So let's, let's with that, let's look forward. Okay, so God says, you don't have to hide from me anymore. So we have the Old Testament. We have salvation history. We have the fullness of revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. Today that reality is made present to us ultimately in the sacraments and the life of the church. Um, heaven is made present to us. This new creation is, is now open. You know, it's, it's, we're invited into this, this new life in Christ. Hmm. And so I like the words that you say, you don't have to hide from me anymore. And I want to look at what's, what does that look like? So what does that look like to be now naked and unashamed through the coming of Christ. Yeah. I think a few things come to mind for me, um, and I'll let you jump in. Okay. But um, I think in the sacrament of confession, first and foremost, this is an area where we um, go and we say our deepest, darkest secrets. You know, our we bear the depths of our soul to another person acting in the person of Christ. We are exposing ourselves and our brokenness to the Lord, to Jesus. And we hear the words, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we walk away freed by exposing ourselves to, by being naked in a spiritual sense, we experience the forgiveness and mercy of God. We are, in a sense, with Christ, exposed, receiving the mercy of God. Absolutely. That's a perfect example. Perfect example, yeah. I actually hadn't thought about the confession piece. That's great. Mm-hmm. I um, uh, example that I'm thinking of is adoration. Just go, going mm-hmm. to you know, mm-hmm. going and spending time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, 
in front of the Eucharist and, you know, pr- praying sincerely to the Lord, you know, um, offering up your, you know, real questions and um, real, you know, thoughts that are going on in your heart and mind, real struggles, real joys, you know, uh, in prayer. So, and this seems to come up time and time again in our podcast, but um, again, just spending time, intentional time with the Lord in prayer is, uh, you know, a not hiding from him, obviously. Uh, right. Yeah. It's another thing too. Yeah. I think as you're saying that, I'm thinking of like, yeah, like a posture. So like, as we are talking about this, this exposure, this, yeah, exposing ourselves, I think about posture and prayer. Hmm. Um, cause I think sometimes for me, you know, the, the folded hands, head bowed posture can be a kind of a closed off position. Hmm. Um, so I think sometimes it's good to like, sometimes I imagine, I don't necessarily always take this posture, but I imagine myself like palms out, arms like outstretched open to God. Right. And the image in my mind is like, or the symbolism in my mind is like, I am exposing myself to God. I am letting him see who I am in my sin and my brokenness. And also inviting his mercy upon me. Right. And I have this image of, yeah, like the words grace just essentially pouring down over me um, because I've wet myself. I've exposed myself. I've, I've brought myself to him as I am. And I think of with that, like the, the sacraments, a good analogy for the sacraments in their uh, efficacy. So that means they, they do what they're, meant to do always. So, but we don't always experience all the graces of it because sometimes it's like we're holding an umbrella and God's raining down his grace upon us, but we're closed off. Hmm. So the fullness of openness to God's grace is putting down our umbrella, opening ourselves up to get soaked and drenched in the grace and mercy of God. But that's not always, you know, that could be an uncomfortable experience at times. Okay. Yeah. I got to start bringing my umbrella to prayer. Anyway. No, you got to stop bringing. Yeah, that's what I said. said. It's yeah. just stop. Okay, yeah, I got to yeah. make sure I stop bringing that to yeah, prayer. Don't bring your umbrella. You're not supposed to have those in church. Anyway. <laughs> it's like raining in there. You want the rain to pour on you. Yeah. No, I I don't know enough to uh, to say much about this, but I, I'm pretty sure Saint Dominic was a, a huge proponent of posture during prayer. He, just, he would form, oh, yeah. form different postures depending on what type of prayer he was, right? You know, saying or whatever it is. So I I think that would be a good a good thing to to research one day to see what kind of the different postures were. Right. Um, I mean, and I think before we pass on from that, it's important to note that like that's rooted in our Catholic understanding of the human person. Right. You know, the whether it's the phrase lex orandi, lex credendi, or lex credendi, lex orandi, I which I forget which goes first. Um, but it's like the law of prayer is the law of belief. So how we pray, the postures we take, the things we say, hmm. how we approach that affects what we believe. Right, that's so it's why we kneel at the consecration in the West. Um, that's why actually in Eastern church, they associate standing more with a resurrected posture. So they off, they do a lot more standing than hmm. kneeling. Um, so there's a sense in which it's cultural and it, it looks different in different cultures, but it is important because within the culture that we are, that's going to affect how we're thinking about it. Hmm. And so, yeah, how we come to prayer, that's why we kneel, you know, it, it's an, a gesture of humility before yeah. God ultimately. Wow. Yeah. Do you, so kind of to jump ships a little bit, uh, can we talk about kind of what that means for how we should expose ourselves bef- before others now, not just God? Um, Cause I think it does. I yeah. think, I think kind of the, you know, you don't have to hide from me anymore message that God sends. Um, it, it sends it to, you know, 
are in relationships with other human beings as well, yeah. not just with God. Um, right. So I think that would be something to discuss here. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think this goes back to our vulnerability theme with nakedness. And yeah, I honestly think that that people, we as a culture, it's a, a generalizing thing to say, but we are not very vulnerable with each other. You know, I know, I know a lot of people, a lot of men, but women too, who don't know how to, yeah, bear who they are, to expose who they are to somebody else. Um, just in a purely emotional sense, in a spiritual sense too. And I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem where we, we aren't vulnerable enough. I think that part of the solution is, in a sense, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So if we um, want others to be vulnerable with us, like we can start by being vulnerable ourselves. Um, but it's also a, it's a habitual thing. You know, if you you have a habit of closing off, of being guarded, then that's going to reinforce itself. Yeah. No, I, this has probably come up before also, but I, I think about just kind of a community where I felt free to, you know, expose mm-hmm. myself in an ordered way. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of one community that I know I've been a part of that was like that is, you know, the summer of 2018 that I spent with, you know, several college students and, you know, other missionaries and so on mm-hmm. and so forth within the focus community that, you know, we just totally trusted each other. It was, it was a community of total trust where I could say pretty much anything I wanted um, with the mindset that they knew who I was, they knew what I was about, they knew what I was running towards, and they would understand where I was coming from. Right. Um, it was just a, a place where I felt totally free to be who I was. Mm. Um, which I feel like is what we want. That, that's, that's what the Lord calls us to in this, you don't have to hide from me anymore mindset, you know, mm-hmm. is can we, can we be in a community or can we be with one another and be free to be our full self? Um, right. that's, that's kind of what we're headed towards. And I think one, one thing just as a, a bit of, you know, direction for how on earth we can do that. I know we all want it is in the conversations that we have, you know, um, what kinds of things are we talking about? If I have something I've been thinking a lot about, or you know, I have a question I want answered, or I, you know, I want to talk about this or that issue with my friends, you know, why don't I do that with them? Why, why wouldn't I? Why, why, why would I, you know, have small talk with them instead of having something that I really want to talk about? Yeah, you know, uh, that's just one thing that comes to mind. Um, anyway, I love, I love that you connected that to freedom. Hmm. Um, freedom is just an amazing word. Um, it's an amazing theme in the spiritual life. Um, because ultimately Christ came to set us free. You know, this is the effect of our salvation is we are now able to be free from the bondages of sin, free to, to do as we ought, as the traditional Catholic way of thinking about it is not freedom to do whatever we want. We kind of have that in a sense, just by having free will, we can do whatever we want. Like, you know, we can sin, we can, nobody's forcing us to do the right thing. But freedom in the Christian sense is being free to express ourselves, being free to, um, yeah, to do what is good, to not be bound down by the shackles of concupiscence, of right. only doing what our instincts bring us to do. Hmm. And so I think freedom is is such a great way, yeah, such a great thing to to connect that to because of that. Yeah, something that we should be continually thinking about, you know, is how can I continue to, to grow and be more free to be my full self, you know, 
Um, one thing I do want to mention too is that you know, there's obviously, since we all you know run around with clothes on and we all you know don't want to go sharing the deepest parts of our souls with everyone, mm-hmm. there's obviously a line you know of okay, we probably shouldn't expose this part of ourselves. You know, um, right? I don't I don't know what that is, um, but I, I yeah. think I think there is one of you know I'm I'm free to and, and I can expose myself entirely before God and I should, mm-hmm. um, you know, but with other human beings. Um, there's a line, I think. Yeah. 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 And I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've actually recently reading a book called boundaries. Look at that. Um, that talks about that. Yeah. Like how do you, you, in a sense, you're closing yourself off to people for, for the greater good, for the sake of being able to be truly free. Ah. So it's like, yeah, we don't go around bearing our souls to everybody. Um, because some of them, yeah, will hurt us, but that doesn't mean that we should let the fear of being hurt stop us from being vulnerable. Sure. Yeah. What about, what about this analogy? What about like a, um, if you imagine yourself as like a, a stream, a fast flowing stream that, you know, could be put down one channel and flow fully through that channel and and as powerfully as possible versus, you know, 10 different streams, you know, representing the you know, multiple people that you're sharing your soul with and, but it's, it's not as strong and it, you know, weakens the stream. I don't know if that's a, um, that one powerful stream will be the Lord, obviously that right. you, that you kind of right. release yourself to. Um, anyway, yeah. I don't know if that's a wrong yeah. analogy or helpful or what. So that's a good, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that you said <laughs> Thanks, there. Man. <laughs> and it makes me think of friendship. And I think ultimately one thing we want to get to in this is marriage. And, but I think friendship is intimately connected to that right, too. Right. So, so this idea of being vulnerable with some, but not others means that there are some that we choose to share ourselves with in a, in an exclusive manner, actually. So by choosing to be friends with somebody, by ch- entering into an intentional relationship with them, I am choosing to be friends with you at the exclusion of other people. That doesn't mean I can't have other friends, but what it does mean is that when I'm spending time with you intentionally, I'm saying no to other things I could be doing right. or to other people I could be spending my time with. So there's this exclusive nature of vulnerability and that's the case in friendship. So I think vulnerability is about finding a few, ultimately, most importantly, God is having that vulnerability with God, but then also having true companionship, true friendship in our life where you can be vulnerable with others where we've built trust. Yeah. And sometimes that gets hurt. And that's, I think, a reality you have to accept. Like another person is not always going, sometimes they're going to betray my trust. Sometimes they're going to let me down. Um, but there's this vulnerability with where you're willing to open yourself up with certain people anyway. Right. It's a choice that you make as to who you're going to open, open yourself up to. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Right. And then the fullest expression of that, I mean, has to be marriage, would you say? Yeah. Let's talk about marriage. I'm pumped right. for this little piece of the conversation. Yes. I mean, maybe this is the, the last thing I cover here. And cool. We'll bring it full circle. But gosh, marriage is such an amazing thing, an amazing sacrament in the Catholic Church. And I think it's actually really fundamental to God's plan for our salvation. Um, and that's marriage both in the sacramental sense of you know, marriage as we normally think of it, but also marriage in the sense of the ultimate marriage, the only marriage that will be in heaven between Christ and the church. And maybe let's start with thinking about in a sacramental sense. Yeah. Um, 
and I'd like to tie it back to nakedness eventually because I, um, right. I, I love excuses to talk about Penny and Sparrow, and I think we should do it here do at it. the end. Go for it. I know where you're going. You want me to do Just it right do now? It, yeah. All right, cool. We'll do it right now. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> anyway, um, please go see a Penny and Sparrow concert if you haven't already. Um, it's kind of a shameless plug for our listeners here. Um, shameless? <laughs> yeah. Naked without shame. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so there's they have this incredible song. Um, it's called Duet. Um, and basically, you know, the song, first of all, Penny and Sparrow, these two guys, one plays guitar, one sings, and that's it. Um, it's very quiet, peaceful music. Uh, but they have this song called Duet, um, and it's, you know, a guy singing to a girl. They bring up, you know, a girl to accompany yeah. their, their song for this right. one. Yeah. But basically, it's, a, it's spouses speaking to one another. Um, it's a very, very intimate song. Basically, it's, a, you know, about the sexual act. Yeah. But the chorus of the song is, you know, they're about to, you know, um, you know, engage in sexual intimacy with one another. Mm-hmm. And the chorus is, I've seen you, I know you, and I'm not going anywhere. That's the chorus of the song. Mm-hmm. I've seen you, I know you, and I'm not going anywhere. Um, so uh, I, I see you as a spouse. I see you in, you know, your nakedness. I'm presenting myself before you in my nakedness. And we're both saying yes to one another. We're both saying, you don't have to hide from me anymore. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's just, just it's an amazing song. I mean, right. holy yeah. smokes. Wow. Pray for Penny and Sparrow uh, because that is incredibly yeah. profound and so easy to translate right. to the spiritual life. But yeah. just think about that man and woman versus God and human beings. You know, it's yeah. so easy to translate that kind of, I've seen you and I know you and I'm not going anywhere. Right. Because ultimately marriage as a sacrament, it's a sign of a greater reality. And the greater reality is God's love for us. Hmm. You know, God loves us so much, he wants to marry us, as as it's sometimes said. And that is what heaven is. God, or heaven is the experience of the wedding feast of the lamb, the marriage of Christ, who is God and his church. Yeah. So marriage is such a beautiful expression of that. Um, and I think, yeah, that song and, and the way you reflected on that explains just that. I yeah. see you, I've seen you, and I know you, and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, It's a way that we participate in this recreation, um, in this redemption that Christ offers us. It's not going to be perfect. Right. You know, we're still fallen. Um, but we can do this. Yeah, marriage is a great way to do that. We can do this in our friendships, too. Yeah. Um, by also saying that, in a sense, not in, in as intimate of a way sometimes but maybe in a it can be in a very emotionally and spiritually intimate way i see you and i know you and i'm not going anywhere Mm. you could say that to your friends right no amen i totally agree yeah um in a a different sense but in a very true one yeah and i expose myself passionately about something i'm passionate about towards a friend and they say you know they they genuinely care about that that's what you're saying you're saying i've I've seen you and i know you i'm not going anywhere um yeah um so meaningful. Wow. I'm just overwhelmed at how incredible marriage is. Think about how freeing that should be. I'm not saying it is for most people, but how incredibly freeing that should be to be mm-hmm. in a, uh, a relationship with your spouse and you, you're totally exposed before them. Um, they know you, you know, not as fully as the Lord would, but you know, in a very full sense and they choose to love you day after day. What an amazing gift. Wow. Yeah. Um, cool. Just, yeah. What a sign of <laughs> of God and His love for us as well. Yeah, and that that sign 
course, we're Bishop Barron disciples, so we got to throw him in every week. But um, he says the effect of, you know, your marriage should be about, should be, it should be about others. It should be about, I, this love that we have is so strong that we want to share it. So let's get married. Um, that's kind of, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this, I feel so free to love in this relationship with you. So let's get married and share that with other right. people. And, and I think it's important to note too, that it's a willed thing too. Right. It's, it goes beyond an emotion. Um, and that's where I think the Christian understanding of marriage, not always how it's lived out, but at its core differs from how the culture understands marriage is ultimately at its heart, at its root, at its core is this choice to love, Hmm. even when it doesn't feel great Hmm. to love. And that's where the freedom comes from is I know that I've made this promise that this other person has made this promise and we are going to commit to this and loving each other. And Part of the Catholic idea of the human person, too, is that the will shapes our desires, right? So by choosing more and more to love, it then becomes easier to love. And our our desires, our mm. lower faculties are actually oriented to love others. Right. That's, that's the whole idea of virtue. And that's the whole idea of this recreation, of this reversing of the fall. Rather than being immersed, flooded in this concupiscence that we can't help, that we're bonded by, uh, we're in bondage from bondage or bond, something like that. <laughs> Rather than that, we're able to be set free of this hmm. through the grace of God. We're able to function as we're meant to function as a human person. And over time, even our lower faculties can be oriented towards the good. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. So maybe just kind of to bring it to a close for you know, us and our listeners, mm-hmm. um, I think kind of one thing that's come from this conversation especially is um, you don't have to hide from God anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just kind of this idea of, of being exposed, being naked before God and him saying yes to you mm-hmm. at every moment of every day. Um, you don't have to hide from him anymore. So don't. Yeah. Um, and just also this kind of relationship with, you know, other human beings as well. Um, continually, you know, being set free to, to love them, to expose yourself to them as well. Great. So any, any practicals? building off of that yeah i think we talked about a couple of them beforehand but you know a couple of things are uh please go to frequent confession um if you have to find a confessor that you you know um enjoy going to or prefer uh please do that um that's a just a, a very you know sacramental act because it is a sacrament of you know presenting yourself before god and him bestowing his mercy on you mm-hmm. so definitely confession i think we also talked about you know spending time you know frequent time in prayer regular time in prayer um, yeah. asking the Lord real questions, you know, giving him real, you know, right. thoughts and, you know, uh, feelings from your heart and mind and letting uh, yourself feel those emotions, right. like feel, if you feel abandoned, let yourself feel that. Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. being your real self in front of the Lord. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. I'll, I'll add one of back to the theme of vulnerability breeds vulnerability. The reality is if you're in a community or you have friends who you feel like you're not vulnerable with each other, it's not because they don't want to be. At their core, your friends, they want to have an intimate relationship with you. And I mean that in the true sense of the word intimate. Um, they want to have emotional intimacy and to share deep things on their heart. But they're fallen and they're wounded and they have these ways that they're closed off. But I think one way you can work to undo that 
is to just be vulnerable yourself and to just start opening up with little things um, and pray. Pray for the grace to to grow in that intimacy as well. Hmm. So yeah, that's that's what we have. That actually, that went way better than I thought. We could have what gotten you, on so much. I mean, I don't know. So you don't like my topics? No, 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 no. I love your topics. <laughs> and I love yourself. this topic. I mean, <laughs> nakedness as a theme, and I think all your listeners can agree with this, has the potential to go in a number of different, potentially weird directions. Sure, okay. Sure. And for the most part, we avoided that, I think. I think we did for the so, most part. So this is great. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been yeah really awesome conversation um i feel like we have grown in intimacy through this um what a strange thing to say dylan <laughs> strange but good, but you're, good. you're my friend i get it we yes that's true <laughs> we this is colloquium we have an email it's colloquium show at gmail.com we would love to hear from you really excited to be back at it we're going to take a break here and come at you with next week's episode. But for us, this is like live. We're doing them back to back. So <laughs> it's going to be all in 10 minutes for us, but um, all in 10 minutes. Oh, oh, 10 minutes from now. I'm like, right. Yeah. yeah we recorded this whole thing in 10 <laughs> minutes, but it's like 50. For years, so <laughs> weird. All right. Anyway, this has been our conversation on colloquium. Go have good conversations yourself. Peace. Naked I came from my mother